going to be looking at John chapter 1 today, and you can find that printed in your bulletin. Uh, what we're going to do for the next three weeks is this is going to be our text for Christmas, and we're going to look at different chunks out of each week. Primarily this week we're looking at the first five verses, but I'm going to read the whole text here uh, in just a second. Before we do that, I want you to imagine something for me. I want you to imagine that you are living in a neighborhood, maybe you're living out in the suburbs somewhere, uh, a subdivision with no street lights, uh, you're some distance from the ambient light of the seat above the city, uh, nobody leaves their porch light on at night, nobody turns floodlights on, and they don't celebrate Christmas. And so there are no decorations. It is basically just black, dark, uh, every night of the week. Uh, in fact, it's so dark that, that when the sun goes down, people don't turn on lights. They either go to bed or they, they read by the glow of their iPads. Okay? That's, that's the only light in this whole neighborhood. And then one day, somebody moves into the neighborhood. And they, in the front window of their house, they put up this, this tree. Why are they putting a tree there? And then they put lights around it. And they turn those on. They start turning those on at night. And they put some candles in the window as well. And then they go out into the yard and they start tying lights around the shrubbery and they turn all of these on at night as well. What would your reaction to that be? What do you think your reaction to that would be? Would you be curious? Uh, would you think, hey, this is a good thing. This will help deter crime. Our neighborhood's more well-lit now. Uh, would you think this is a bad thing? We like it dark here and, and we're calling the Homeowners Association tomorrow get those lights out of our neighborhood. How would you react to these lights? I want to suggest that the best move before you react one way or the other might be to find out who this person is that has actually moved into your neighborhood. And to find out why they're putting up these lights. It might be a good thing. It might be a bad thing. But you don't really know until you actually get to know this neighbor and find out what are the lights for? Why are they here? In the text we're about to read, John is going to tell us that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, that Word is Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, that He took on human flesh and He lived and walked among us. Uh, Eugene Peterson, you guys have heard me read this before, likes to translate it this way. The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Jesus Christ is the one who has brought light into the darkness of our world, into the darkness of our neighborhood. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And what I want to simply suggest to you this morning is that before you just reject Jesus Christ out of hand as this one who's moved into the neighborhood, that before you reject him out of hand, that you actually ask the question and wrestle with the question, who is this Jesus Christ that has moved into the neighborhood, and what is he doing here? Why is he here? What's the deal with the lights? Uh, and, and, and so, if you would, look with me in your bulletin. Uh, again, we'll be looking at this over the next three weeks. Well, this is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And this is God's written word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let's pray with me. Uh, Lord God, we uh, would come now and ask that you would make yourself known to us through the preaching of your word. That you would show us, uh, Lord Jesus, uh, come to earth in human flesh, crucified for sinners, our Savior and our God. Would you help us to see him today? We pray in his name. Amen. Well, here's what I want to do with this uh, today. What I want to do is simply <coughs> look at four or five things that this text tells us about who Jesus Christ is. All right, that's all I want to get at is who is this Jesus Christ who's revealed to us in this first chapter of John? Now, it's obvious from verse 1 and verse 14 that he's talking about Jesus Christ. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That Jesus is this word that John speaks of. And we'll get back to why he uses this word word, uh, in a minute. But the first thing I want you to see from this is that Jesus Christ is God come in human flesh. That this is the claim that, that John makes about him. Not that he's some kind of angelic being. Uh, not that he is simply a God, but that Jesus Christ is the God, the creator of the universe, come in human flesh. Now, if you remember watching or reading the Da Vinci Code a few years ago, you remember that it said something along the lines of, well, the church didn't really begin to think of Jesus as divine until about the 4th century, and then they came up with all this, and they read all this back into it. But here you have in the very opening verse of the Gospel of John, an affirmation of the deity of Jesus Christ. And that's something that's consistently claimed in the Scriptures, that Jesus Christ is in fact divine. Uh, One of the places you can see this is later in the book of John, in John chapter 8. Jesus is having a conversation with some of the Jewish leaders. And and this is the way, I want you to listen to how the conversation goes. This is what Jesus says. John 8, 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. 
So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now, why did the Jewish leaders at this point pick up stones to throw at Jesus Christ? Were they just really mad that he claimed to be really old? Like, ah, you're, you can't say that you're 2,000 years old. We're going to kill you for that. Now, th- th- that's silly. What they were reacting to was what Jesus said when he said, Before Abraham was, I am. Now, why are those two words, I am, such a trigger word for them? Well, go back with me to the book of Exodus. Uh, God has appeared, is appearing to Moses in the burning bush. He tells Moses, I want you to go to Egypt and you're going to lead my people Israel out of slavery. And this is what Moses says to God. If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. See, when when Jesus says before Abraham was, I am, he wasn't just claiming to be really old. He was claiming the divine name, I am, for himself. And the Jewish leaders there that he was talking to understood exactly what he was claiming and that's why they got so mad at him. That's why they wanted to stone him because they felt like he was committing blasphemy blasphemy in this moment. The claim of the scriptures, the claim of Jesus Christ is that he is divine. He is God. Now let me let me draw out and what I want to do with each one of these is just draw out a couple of implications of that. Uh, of each one of these. And for this one the idea is this there's a lot of people in our culture today who would say, you know, I'm not really religious, but I do consider myself to be spiritual. And there are a lot of people who are trying to find ways to connect with whatever divine energy might be out there. There are people who say, well, you can't really know what God is like. And so you just got to reach out as best you can and, and get in touch with whatever may be out there and just hope for the best in that. But if what John writes here is true, we don't have to guess at what's out there. We don't have to just take a stab at it and hope for the best. God has made himself known to us in Jesus Christ. And that means that that if you're looking for something, that spiritual part of the universe that you're trying to figure out how to connect to, It's not an it, it's a him, it's a person, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's actually revealed himself to us. And he said that knowing him is the only way to know God, to connect to God, is through Jesus Christ. Uh, And and not only do we not have to go looking for a way to connect to spirituality, we shouldn't go looking for our own way to connect to whatever spirituality there is. Because if Jesus is who he said he is, if he really has made God known to us, that means that you and I are no longer free to just make up what we think God is like for ourselves. 
We're no longer free to just design God the way we want to design Him. We can't design our own personal God like we're creating a, a, a playlist in iTunes. Like, I'll, I'll take this song and this about God and this about God. There, there's a God I like, and that's the God I'm going to listen to uh, on my earbuds. That's what I think God is like. That's the way I choose to design Him. Jesus says, I am. I am. You, you and I can't change who He is. And so the responsible thing on our part then is to conform ourselves to who He says He is and what He says about reality. Uh, second thing we see here. The text tells us not only that the Word was God, what does it say before that? It says the Word was with God. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And there's so much like uh, foundational Christian doctrine just in this one verse. Uh, this is telling us that the God who is there is not a lonely, solitary force. But the Scripture shows us that the God who is the center of all reality is one God existing from all eternity in three persons. Uh, one substance equal in power and glory. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We see the divinity of the Father and the Son in these verses. Uh, you see the divinity of the Holy Spirit in other uh, passages of Scripture. That the Scripture attributes deity to all three of these, and yet they are one. One God existing in three persons. Why does that matter? Alright, that, for many of us, is just kind of this uh, esoteric, boring, complicated doctrine that we don't really understand. We just like, okay, well that doesn't make much sense, but I'll, I'll, okay, that's what the Bible says. Why does that matter? Well, look at verse 4. Uh, verse 4 says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then, I want you to throw another verse in this mix. 1 John 4, 8 tells us that God is, anybody? God is love. God is love. And so at the center of the universe, what the Bible is telling us is that there is a being a personal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is light and life and love in His very essence. And that you can actually know that God. You and I can actually know that God. There's a personal God who's a source of light. There's a God who's a source of all wisdom and knowledge. You know, what you and I, when we, when we try to figure out our way through life apart from God... We're kind of like somebody trying to grope through a dark cave with no flashlight. Just making the best of it. When I was a, when I was a, a young child, we went to Disney World. And one of those, is it Tom Sawyer's Island or something like that. And there's these caves you can go through on the island. And my dad went through one of those ahead of me and he had his sunglasses on the whole time. And so there's a line back up halfway across Disney World uh, because he couldn't see where he was going in this cave. When, when we try to navigate life without God, that's what we're like. It's like we've intentionally put a pair of sunglasses on, blocking God's light out, but now we can't see anything at all. And so we're simply groping our way through life. Uh, what the Bible is telling us here is that God gives us light. He gives us direction in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. And that one of the ways he makes that light known to us 
is through the written word that we've just read. Uh, Psalm 119.105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We're not left just to grope around in the darkness, but this personal triune God who's at the center of all things actually loves us and speaks to us in his word. Not only is he light, he's also life. Now think about that. At the beginning of everything is not just a bunch of molecules bouncing around for no reason and no purpose. But there is eternal life in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at the foundation of the very universe. And when we hear the gospel, we're invited in to this very life of God. When we trust Jesus Christ, we're invited to participate in this eternal life flowing from uh, our triune God. Think about that for a second. You know, there are a lot of things that discourage us. Uh, Even in the holidays, for some of us especially, in the holidays it can be a discouraging time. Uh, Families that deal with various difficulties in our lives. There's so much decay and degeneration in the world around us. In the midst of that, the gospel of Jesus Christ invites you to know life. That there really is hope. There really is life in the midst of everything that's decaying. Uh, That means that, that you and I are made for something bigger than just muddling through life as best we can. Avoiding trouble as much as we can. Accumulating as many possessions as we can. Making a few dollars living a a good life we're actually made to know this God that's what you're made for to know this God the very source of life and light and love in the universe at the core of the universe there's not a solitary lonely God but God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit have always existed in this relationship of light and life and love And that means, first of all, that as people who are made in the image of this triune God, you and I are made for relationships. And that's one of the reasons sin is so damaging, because it damages the relationships that we have with each other. And anytime we sin, we're working against the relationships that we're actually made for. Uh, But it also means that we're made to be in a relationship with God. And I want you to listen to this. This is from uh, Douglas Cowley. He writes... The Father so loved the Son with this kind of generous, outgoing love that He wanted to make a world and fill it with a race of people who would be like His Son. His goal was that there would be others who would share in the light and life and love of the Son. To have a relationship with Christ means to be drawn into the kind of relationship of love that He has with the Father. God did not need people, not at all. It is simply that His is the kind of love that wants to be shared. So He made a world. He created people in His image. Or to put it another way, what would be the finest gift the Father could give His Son? Would it not be a wonderful, beautiful bride? The church, the bride of Christ, God gives to His Son. But let me just ask you, what is it that you think, man, I, in order for me to really live. I've got to have alright, what do you fill in that blank with? I've got to have this if I'm going to enjoy life. What is it that you worry about so much? What is it that you devote your energy to? I want to submit that you're actually made for something much more than that. 
that you're made for something much bigger than that. C.S. Lewis wrote, If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we are made for another world. Guys, we are made for something much more than simply chasing the pleasures and comforts of this world that are here one minute and gone the next. We're made for a relationship with a triune God who's life and life and love. Third thing about Jesus here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This triune God has existed from all eternity. This triune God has existed from all eternity. In the beginning was not gas and time and molecules and chance. In the beginning was a personal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's one of those two things. It's either eternal matter, eternal stuff, or an eternal person. Do you ever think about how much difference that really makes? How, just, that sounds kind of like, well, that's kind of simple, I guess. I don't know really what difference it makes in the real world. That makes every difference in the real world. Which one of those two things, eternal matter or an eternal person, that you start with? Let me read to you from, from a book by John Frame. This is what he wrote. If the impersonal is primary... Right, if, if we just started out as a bunch of space junk, say it like that. Uh, if the impersonal is primary, then there is no consciousness, no wisdom, and no will in the ultimate origin of things. What we call reason and value are the unintended accidental consequences of chance events. So why should we trust reason if it is only the accidental result of irrational happenings? Moral virtue will in the end be unrewarded. Friendship, love, and beauty are all of no ultimate consequence, for they are reducible to blind, uncaring processes. Then he quotes the atheist philosopher Bertrand Russell, who says that man's origin, his growth, his hopes and fears, his loves and his beliefs are all but the outcome of accidental collocations of atoms, that no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave. That all the labors of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system. And that the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. See, what he's saying is, and what he's admitting is, Bertrand Russell is, if the impersonal is primary... If, if instead of in the beginning was the word, if what we really have is in the beginning matter, in the beginning space junk, it doesn't matter if you blow people up at the Boston Marathon or if you try to rescue people at the Boston Marathon. It doesn't make a, a hill of beans worth of difference at the end of the day which one of those you decide to do. The impersonal is prior. It does not matter. Friendship doesn't mean anything. The love that you feel for other people is just, that's just chemicals going off in your brain. It doesn't really mean anything. Morality doesn't exist. You and I have no ultimate purpose if the impersonal is primary. Listen to what John Frame says, that the personal is primary. Then the world was made according to a rational plan 
that can be understood by rational minds. Friendship and love are not only profound human experiences, but fundamental ingredients in the whole world order. There is someone who wants there to be friendship, who wants there to be love. Moral goodness is part of the great design of the universe. If personality is absolute, there is someone who cares about what we do, who who approves or disapproves our conduct. And that person has some purpose for evil too, as mysterious as that may seem to us. Beauty too does not just happen for a while. It is the art of great craftsmen. Do you see how much difference that makes? Do you see how much difference that makes? In the beginning was the word, or in the beginning was just matter. There's a group called the Killers who have a new uh, song, a new Christmas song coming out, and it's called Christmas in L.A. Uh, and in the video, Owen Wilson is, is playing a guy who's trying to make it in Hollywood. And he's on the phone with a producer, and he's trying to get advice of, all right, how, how do I make it in Hollywood? And this is the conversation he has. Do you have any advice for someone trying to make it, someone trying to break into acting? Do nothing. Why? I feel like I have been doing nothing, and that hasn't gotten me anywhere. Then you're in a great place. You're nothing. I'm nothing? You're nothing. I'm nothing. There is nothing. What's the point then? Nothing. Nothing. And that's the truth. If, If the impersonal is primary, then we're nothing. And nothing really matters. Contrast that with a world in which you and I are made the image of a trying God. In which you and I have meaning and value and purpose. In which, in which your actions matter. In which the ways you've been sinned against aren't meaningless. They are actually wrong. In which there is beauty. There is truth. In which the love that you feel for other people isn't just random chemicals going off in your brain. That can only be true if the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has existed from all eternity in a relationship of light and life and love. That can only happen if the personal is primary. You matter and your life matters in that world. Now, which one of those two worlds, which one of those two worlds would you rather live in? Which one of those two worlds would you rather live in? Jesus is divine. He is part of the triune God who's existed from all eternity. And He's a personal God. The God we serve is a personal God who's the foundation of all reality. And then finally, verse 3 tells us, All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. John tells us that the Word, that Jesus Christ is actually the Creator. And and I won't go into much of this, but that tells us again that, that you're not here by accident. You were created for a reason. That you're in this place right now living and breathing because King Jesus willed it to be so. You exist and are here for a reason. You were made for a purpose. And you ought to rejoice in that and, and lean in to that purpose. Live like you have a purpose because you do. But there's something else that this means. This means that if Jesus made the universe, if Jesus made you, Jesus made me, then Jesus has ownership rights over you and me. He has a right to tell us how to conduct our lives. You're responsible to Him for the way you live your life. 
your life on Monday morning in geometry class or whatever, that belongs to Jesus Christ. Your life on Friday night when you're out partying or when you're alone with your boyfriend or girlfriend, that belongs to Jesus Christ. Every aspect of your life is not yours. It belongs to Jesus Christ. The way you spend your time and your money, that belongs to Jesus Christ. Every second of every day, you're living before the face of your maker and your creator, your owner, and your God. If Jesus is the creator, that means that ultimately you're responsible to Him. Now let's tie those together. Jesus is creator. Jesus as God and with God. Jesus as the triune God who's existed from all eternity in a relationship of life and life and love. You can see now perhaps why John would call him the Word. Uh, the Greek word here is logos, L-O-G-O-S. And the Greeks thought of the Logos as the impersonal principle or reason that gave order to the universe. That there's a reason, we don't know what it is, but there's a reason, there's an order to the universe. There's this Logos. Uh, Plato put it this way, he said, and this is interesting, it may be that someday there will come forth from God a word, a Logos, who will reveal all mysteries and make everything plain. John says, not... It's here, but He's here. The Logos, the reason for it all, the Word who's become flesh, is here. And what are you going to do with it? I want to ask us that question as well this morning. What are you going to do with Jesus Christ? He's God in the flesh. He's the eternal Creator. He's come to make God known. But as you'll see over the next two weeks, and as we'll talk about as we come to the table, He has come not just to make God known generically, but so that you might know God. So that you might know God personally. So that you might have a relationship with the living God. And the only way He could bring you into a relationship with the living God was for Him to take on human flesh. To bear our sins and iniquities. To bear the fact that we have rejected God and gone our way. To take the penalty for sin that we deserved. That's the only way He could bring us back into a relationship with God. And we receive credit for what He's done. We are brought into that relationship simply by trusting in what He has done for us at the cross. By receiving Jesus as our King and our Lord and our Savior and bowing to Him. Jesus has come. Not just so you can know God generically, but so that you can actually have a living, breathing relationship with a God who is life and light and love. And so my question to you this morning is, what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? Uh, C.S. Lewis, I want to close with this. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, says that some people hear about Jesus and they try to dismiss him as well. He was just a good prophet or he said some good things and there's some things he, he said that I liked. But I don't know about this stuff about him being God. This is what C.S. Lewis writes. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg, 
or else you would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us, and he did not intend to. What are you going to do with Jesus Christ? Uh, If you are wrestling with that, let me suggest that the place you might start is this Christmas season with the Gospel of John. Uh, The Gospel of John, which was written, he tells us in chapter 20, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life. You want to find out who Jesus is, and I would invite you simply to take up and read. To take up the Gospel of John and make that your reading project for the Christmas season. You pray for us. Lord Jesus, you have become flesh. You have come so that we would know God. Lord Jesus, would you open our eyes to see that? Would you give us eyes that see and ears that hear and hearts that believe? Would you work supernaturally in our midst uh, so that we might see and know that you are the true and only way to the Father? We pray in your name. Amen.